I've actually taken uh, liberty of the home ground advantage and I've actually changed my talk slightly <clears throat> since this morning. So it's a bit different to what I was thinking I was going to talk about, but I am going to talk about the three pictures mentioned. Um, and I'm just going to talk about little snippets of little stories of each one. The, the conservation program for Australian Impressions has been huge and um, over-ambitious in many ways, but, um, but we've tried to look at the specifics. We've looked at individual pictures and done major restorations, but also we've um, spent a lot of time acquiring data. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm tired because of all this work and my voice is going to give up. I just know. <coughs> um, yes, we've been acquiring an enormous amount of data, and we're in a very luxurious position at the moment in conservation because we have access to new technologies that didn't exist previously. Um, so we're, we're sort of at a, a point where we can utilise new research and new techniques to explore things that have been captured in the paint, technically. You know, it's been there all its time, but hasn't had a, a way to be brought out. So when we call this technical art history, and I'll be touching on that through this. So this my work I'm presenting is sort of like a, a parallel to the rest of the art history, which we've been hearing about. Uh, I, I can't not mention this painting, so I'll talk about three pictures, um, shooting the rams, coming south, and then finishing off with um, spring, the Arthur Street and painting. So what I do is um, initiate change. And the reason I've changed what I thought I was going to say about I've been so interested in, in hearing what other speakers have mentioned this morning about the idea of illusion and the idea of truth in pictures and how we actually try and bring out meaning from what we think we know and what we actually do know. <clears throat> and these are really interesting topics in terms of conservation. For my work, I have to um, make very particular assessments to do with truth, because um, I'm actually dealing with factual um, material, um, more materials. And some of them are original and some are not original. And, and the, the first point of a, a conservation process is a very vast uh, technical examination to try and establish what's original and what's not and also um, what was intended and what wasn't intended. So this is... I'm not going to talk a lot about Shearing the Rams, just very briefly. It's a, a really interesting example of what we think we know and what we're familiar with, and then, of course, um, what can be revealed through the process of analysis and, and then ultimately restoration. So this is the painting. The, the colours aren't great, but um, this was the painting, and it's now become this. I think even though it is going to be hard to tell from um, reproductions on a, on a digital projector you will be able to see that there's an enormous expanse of space and, and that the sense of illusion of space has been re-found re in many ways. And this is partly to do with removing of discoloured varnish, which is what we all think of um, restoration process on pain to be removal of discoloured varnish layers. But often it's also removal of um, later additions to the, to the painting, in particular restorations. And so this painting actually had a lot of restorations along these poles, as well as back through here. Unfortunately, you can't see them in the reproduction here. Um, but quite a lot of the picture was repainted a long, long time ago, and um, probably about over 80 years ago. So we haven't seen... I can assure you, you haven't seen this picture. Um, I'm, actually, I can't actually say it for sure, but I'm fairly confident no one in this room has seen this picture um, in its true state. And it's not that I've actually made the painting look better. All I've done is tried to find the painting, and that's, that's the process of conservation. People often think that what I'm trying to do is make something look better. That's actually not at all. What I'm trying to do is... Um, reduce the influence of later hands or reduce the influence of time, but as much as possible, find the original artist's work. And this can involve an enormous amount of technical research and, and technical art history, which is what I was going to talk about. Um, <clears throat> a lot of it's actually just graphs and things like that, 
But um, so I'm not going to talk about it. I've decided it would be much more interesting to have little snippets of stories. But this particular picture had a lot of change um, through its process, which, is, which the artist intended. But then, of course, it's had other influences from restorers and various other people. And to try and get to the bottom of what was intended is, uh, is the process before you even begin. So we can actually have that dialogue with, with our curatorial staff and, and directorate and say, OK, before we start, this is what we know and this is what we don't know and how are we going to move from one point to the, end, to the next point? And then the, that bit in between, between the starting and the end point, is sort of my business. Um, but what's agreed upon is what the end points are, to the, the bookends of the, of the process. So instead, um, well, here's the X-ray, X-ray of the painting. So the, the sorts of things, when I talk about technical art history, the common things that people know about are X-rays, radiography of paintings, infrared examination is quite common as well as sometimes, as we saw before, I should explain what that was, actually, a very beautiful thing is actually a cross-section. So to absolutely resolve that um, there were some areas of restoration, I had to um, take a cross-section through a crack, which is one of these cracks through here. This top area was actually the one that was then identified as being by later hands and was removed. Um, the X-ray, which probably people might have even heard about, was quite informative because it reveals that this figure here, which we see in the X-ray, is not the, uh, the, the final figure, which is... Um, the, originally, the, a full figure was painted, if I go back, by, um, by Roberts. <coughs> Sorry, a full figure was painted based on the sketches he'd done. He did about 80 sketches in the shed before he, um, before he returned to Melbourne, worked up his composition, went back again to the, to the shed and uh, took the canvas with him and painted in the shed. So that's, that's sort of the, the mythology that existed and sort of been documented in time. But, of course, um, getting to the specific amongst all that, there's other ways of determining more. But, yes, this person here was the first idea and then abandoned by, um, by Roberts. And you might be able to even tell from this that he's actually a clean-shaven clean person. So this sort of preoccupation that the world has about this particular person is almost irrelevant because it's more than one person. And the person we end up with, of course, is this sort of iconic depiction of, um, of the Shearer, you know, of Australian labour. So... Um, that's what we're more interested in. And so the, the back actually gets changed. He completely paints it out, even though he finished. He actually repainted these poles as well. The enormous amount of work was sort of done initially by Roberts before he reconsidered the entire composition and went back again. And, um, yes, he brings this back line down. And the reason he brings it down is because he brings it into a much more formal process. This, is a, this whole composition is a very, very complicated um, composition based on a single-point perspective line back through here. So any of these architectural lines you can follow and you'll find that one point. And uh, all this informs me on the intention of the artist. And, um, and it also tells a lot about his motivations for this particular composition. It's not just a painting he's trying to achieve. It's so much more. And I'm not going to talk about it in great detail because uh, David will be able to talk about this afternoon in more light. But I will just show you things like this. And this is a, this is a wonderful example of how complicated this composition is. This point is actually found by a square that comes from here. Um, if you divide a half circle amongst this square and this square and this square, you find this particular point here. But if you look even more closely, all of a sudden you realise that nothing, nothing in this picture is accidental. It's completely premeditated and it's, it's a highly sophisticated, choreographed, um, academic painting. And so um, this line runs through here. You can see that the, the curves of the sheep will follow the line, the arc of the hand of the... the reconsidered arc of the hand of the shearer, as well as all points through here. And the idea is to create this wonderful journey right through the shed 
you come past this figure and you end up now out through there. So quite a remarkable, um, ambitious uh, composition by, by Roberts. One thing that has come of light through this um, process, we've had a lot of interaction with the public once you start talking about it. One, one of the things we need to try and do in conservation is actually to try and um, help manage the change of these iconic pictures because there is all of a sudden a shift and that needs to be explained. So um, we actually you know, we do a lot of media and there's a lot of process of, sort of communal dialogue and we've got these amazing photos from, um, uh, from the public, a member of the public, whose father went to the shed before it burnt down, because the shearing shed was there until about the 70s, but uh, later was burnt down by um, the owner to try and kill off a, a pest plague of, of rats. So um, this photo was taken in about 63, uh, and it shows where Tom Roberts painted the composition and would turn around and clean his brushes on the wall. And it's an amazing, amazing thing. They actually had a section of the wood which was down here, which they brought in. And I did the analysis, and it is the same paint. It's, it's you know, not some sort of bluff story. So when we look at this composition, we see two things. We see this incredible motivation to um, create an iconic um, image, but also we do see an artist bothering, even though he's, even though he's completely made up his, his composition, he's completely choreographed the whole thing, most likely based on his sketches in, in the shed from the first season. He returns again to paint in a very... Um, but quite a rapid and direct way, response to effects of light. And so he actually is determined to, to capture the sense of impressionism in, in his academic depiction. So it's very, very interesting. But I'm going to talk about this because um, this, I actually finished restoring this painting on Monday. So it's been a long <laughs> journey. And I, I finished on Monday because um, they're hanging on Tuesday. Actually, they're hanging, hanging, on, hanging on Monday as well, I think. But um, it's, it's, this has been a long journey, but a much, it's a very, very important painting. It's, it's coming south by, by Tom Roberts. This is, de this is a depiction of the Lusitania, the boat which he travels back from, from his trip overseas. Um, he clearly does a whole lot of sketches on the ship and then goes back to the studio and develops up his composition. And um, the painting had a lot of discoloured varnishes on it. Uh, I should say it's, it was beautifully placed in the... Um, in the Exiles to Immigrants National Gallery Victoria show. And, and was a, it's, it's a, such a fantastic icon of this process of migration and immigration to, to Australia. Um, you won't see it very well, but there is... This is partway through the cleaning. It was a very complicated cleaning. It happened in two stages. But what I've become interested in is because there was actually areas of ambiguous um, forms which I couldn't quite resolve in the, in the composition. So I had to start looking into the history of the boat. And I managed to find... Um, these deck plans, which was the start of something. I was actually looking for architecture, you know, uh, marine architecture of the, of the structure of the boat. And this was the, the starting point. And it's really fantastic because this tells us that the first class is at the back of the boat and uh, second class is the front of the boat, which is the cabin classes. And then steerage is actually below or down. And they're not, it's not even bothered. To be, you don't depict steerage. You just you know it's down low. And it's the third class, which is very much an open sort of environment for... Um, less fortunate people. And then at the very top, there's, there's these three deck cabins which are on the, on the deck. And what's important about this is I can start to locate a sense of um, location in the boat. So here is the boat. And at the very back over here, what's the tenure? This is the quarter deck, which is reserved. You can see it's got, it's got um, awnings for, uh, for ladies to sit under with fixed seating. It's all very relaxed and quite wonderful. And further forward was the first-class lounge and the first-class um, smoking room, which you also came up from, from below. And then further forward oops, was um, 
Oops, you got an extra slide. No. Further forward was um, second class through here. And the artist has placed himself in second class, looking back through there. So now when we look at this, this picture, we see a bit more. We don't just see the boat. We actually see a much more of a sense of the, the true social history of, of the painting. And we see second class citizens um, assigned to their um, allocation of the boat um, through this doorway here, which was um, walled off by the uh, bridge deck. This is the captain up here in his white suit. This particular um, Oceania line had, had a white uniform for senior officers. Um, through there is, is the promenade through to first class. And this sort of social distinction is, is, can be found and located in the, um, uh, in, in the architecture of the boat. But the reason that I was interested in this, of course, was to try and resolve issues up here, but then it becomes more important. So I managed to find, about 48 hours ago, I have to confess, <laughs> I managed to find the, uh, the passenger list. So this is like a 15-page document which was required by law um, for the, uh, the captain to keep a listing of all the, all the people on the boat. And it's, I know you won't be able to read it, but it's, a very, it's an amazing document which, which when read in detail. And so I've set up a database and I've logged all these, um, these people and I can now do sort of research to do with trying to work out if these, these people we see are real people or whether it's actually just a falsified depiction or interpretation of the event. And I'll have to quickly point out that it's um, people in the... The people are listed by their um, nationalities. This is the English, the Irish, Scottish and foreigners. Of course, um, of course the Australians are somehow fit into English, I presume. Um, and, and they're just sort of all listed down there. You can find Tom Roberts in there. I'm going to show you a detail at the top. And um, down the bottom is actually a summary. This is page 11. It's a summary of all the people on the boat. So on the far right column is the foreigners. But it's also listed by cabin class and steerage. There's not one person listed as a foreigner in, in um, cabin class. Everyone's in, in third class steerage. So all of a sudden it becomes an interesting sort of um, document in terms of interpretation of this story and how we can um, make more sense of what we see in the painting. And the next step, which I've just become infatuated with, is, OK, who are these people and are they real people? And so one person... Oh, that's steerage. Sorry, the cabin class. One person is um, J.F. Archibald, who was on this boat, and he was the... The, you probably a lot of you know, he was the um, initiator of the Bulletin and senior editor of the Bulletin magazine in Sydney. And he was travelling through to Sydney. This is the Sydney listing here. Um, but was on the boat. He's, he's 30 years old. He's the same age as Tom Roberts. And they interact and become um, friends. And the following year, he's, Tom Roberts is commissioned by Archibald. And, of course, Archibald starts the Archibald uh, Prize in, in Sydney. And, um, yes, he, Archibald commissions Roberts to do some black and white drawings, some of those commercial drawings that we talked about before. Uh, the following year. So now, um, the, the whole painting becomes another sort of possibility. For example, there's only one person, there's a listing for a six-year-old lady and a five-year-old child travelling together, which is possibly these people here. Um, and of course, I believe Archibald is this person here, who's pointing at this newspaper held by this other gentleman. And this is a, a uh, caricature, I'm not sure who actually did this caricature, of Archibald. So it's still early stages, but the possibility is, to, is quite interesting. Um, and, of course, what I'm trying to do here is actually try and make sense. Of course, it, it helps. In, it, the idea was to inform my restoration and uh, make more sense of it, but it, it informs us much more than that, and, and that's the wonderful process of working with, with colleagues at the NGV. So I'm just going to finish with what's been tapped on, a re, on um, inscriptions in this painting. And this is this idea of the familiar and 
and how it's, it's a big issue for conservatives. For example, when I took Shereen the Rams into, into the restoration studio, I, I know this picture from um, my childhood, and somehow I have to live beyond that and start to look at it in fresh ways. And so in some ways we can do that through technical examination and, and um, x-rays and things like that. But also it has to rely on a sense of um, pictorial analysis that, that's sort of built on a knowledge base to do with um, art history and my interactions with, with Terence Lane but also, and, of course, my advice received from Terence Lane. But also it relies on um, this idea of technical art history, so looking at pigment usage, looking at composition, thinking about the, um, the practices of the, of the students who are based in Melbourne as opposed to the students overseas when Roberts goes overseas and comes back, the lack of access to um, training that, that Streeton had as opposed to Roberts. All these things are really important to understanding these things. But this picture went through a major restoration. This is actually the start of the conservation program anyways. It was, I think, 2002, 2003. And it took me well over a year to restore the painting. Here's the X-ray. If I go back, and I flick backwards and forwards, you can see that straight away there was a tear in it. But there's also this thing here, which is a female form. Oh, we believe it's a female form, and, and that's always been speculated. It's certainly an earlier composition that was painted out by... Or an earlier figure painted out by... Um, by Streeton during the development of the composition. She was, this, this figure was actually slightly larger in scale than, than the boys that were replaced later on. He's halfway through cleaning. Unfortunately, this painting had a, um, a polyurethane varnish on it. And I won't go into the specifics, but it's a highly complicated process to get it off. And for a while there, we had to think about whether it was actually possible or not. So was this painting actually lost for history? Or um, could we recover it? And... And there was a way of doing it. We found a way, but it was involved... Um, I had to work underneath a microscope and, um, and I worked at about two centimetres at a time. And my variable was actually time. I had between 30 and, and 50 seconds to do my work and remove the, the system I had to, get, to just dissolve this very complicated and highly unpleasant synthetic material from a very fragile paint layer. But because I was working so close underneath this um, microscope, this is about six months in... And then I kept on going across. The, I started up here. I did work down little lines. By the time I got over here, which would have been about eight months later, um, some discoveries started to emerge, as Terence Lane's mentioned, and there were inscriptions in the paint layer. And this, this was amazing. After all these you know, months of living with this thing, um, I found these inscriptions, which you probably can't see very well, so I've done this. And it says, um, it says Flory Walker. So that, my first feeling was, okay, this has got to be just sort of a child, um, you know, vandalising a painting. But in actual fact, it seems not. And uh, the next one comes along, and it's Flory and Smike. And Smike, of course, is the nickname of Flory, uh, of, um, of Arthur Streeton. So it, it puts Arthur Streeton in, in the painting. And then Charles Condon names also appears in Charles Condon's hand in the paint. But the, the interesting thing about it is that this is a very, very high magnification um, shot. This is one millimetre here. So it's actually in wet paint. The paint comes around this instrument that I've used, which is possibly a very sharp pencil, maybe a pin or something. As it comes around, it drags the paint and it ends up, you can see it's a pull of paint there. So it places th this activity, this uh, inscribing of names, right into, the, uh, right into the time of painting. This is another one, which is actually the first one I found. And it says, Flory Walker. I should say, one says, Flory Walker is my sweetheart. So... Um, all sorts of fun. There's a whole other level to it. But if I go back to... If I go back to... The, this one is actually located here, directly above the painted-out female figure. So 
there's, there's a sense that perhaps this was actually an allocation of a name to this person. And Florrie Walker is um, Lucy Walker's sister. I did birth and record checks and uh, worked it out. And we actually have a painting by, uh, by Streeton of the Walker's uh, estate, the, the father's estate. So I went and looked at it and straight away found another one. So there's Florrie Walker's inscription or name allocated to the painting of her father's property. Really quite amazing. And just to finish off, there's a very, well, very, very well-known letter, probably one of the most um, recognised published letters of um, Arthur Streeton to, to Roberts. And Terry showed this detail here before, which is this detail here, and this, this is in the exhibition, this letter. And as, as Terry mentioned, this is actually Florrie here. Her name's actually been delicately written down there, assigning her her name. He's cubed in the door, and they're, they're in the studio together. But this information, of course, it's about what you have at hand to interpret what you're seeing. And so this letter's always been there, but now and now do we sort of get a sense of what's really going on in this, in this story. And it is, it's not just, um, this is the last slide, it's not just romantic sort of infatuation. It actually gives us a sense of um, these people and, and, their, and their lifestyles and, and their interests and things like that. Um, it's, it's a wonderful depiction of a young person who's got this romantic sort of, you know, maybe infatuation, maybe just sort of, um, less so, but it's, it's interesting, this painting, if it was painted with this female figure, um, as Mary's been quoted as saying, you know, this is an understated composition of these, of these male forms, but of course, if it was um, this naked female figure in the landscape had been overstated sort of form instead of understated, and clearly this possibly is a sense of actually editorial process that's going on, almost a censorship by Streeton himself to, to do it, because if this female figure appeared in the landscape, I can't think of a a white female figure appearing not in a, in a similar sort of sense placed in, in the landscape. So it would have been a very interesting betrayal. So I think that's about it. I've probably run, almost run out of time, have I? No? Got okay, well, I might just sort of finish by saying that, um, yeah, I mean, this, these are just little snippets of stories. But what we've done through this exhibition and through this process, we've had a chance to access this enormous body of, of work and um, with new techniques. We've, we've, we've got wonderful relationships with CSIRO, um, we've had some splendid sponsorship through the um, Hugh Williamson Foundation who have given us some, some people to help us w- w- you know, work on the, the project. We've acquired data, which I was going to show you, which is very boring. And it tells us everything like um, who, who's pink, painting what, for what pigments, who's, um, who's working in what sort of way. And so I can, I can look at this painting now, which I never could before because it would have required a process of, of sampling, but this is now using a non-destructive technique. And I can tell you that you know, in this particular painting... Street and Favors, Ultramarine Blue, ultramarine blue um, and Cadmium Pigments and, uh, and Cerulean Blue as well in some parts. And in other pictures earlier on, he, he isn't using those techniques because he's much more uh, adhering to the teaching of Melbourne. Whereas, and that's the same with McCubbin as well. McCubbin's very much reliant on, in the earlier days, he's very much reliant on his sort of academic training as it came through the, um, uh, came through the, the art school in Melbourne, in particular Follingsby and uh, Von Gerard's teachings. But what does happen, and what seems to be the suggestion, is that when Tom Roberts comes back from overseas, he brings this renewed sort of enthusiasm. And the painting of Coming South has in it these, these pigments that are not used by his previous teachers, which is von Gerard. And he seems to be coming out. We don't know until we check all the paintings, but this is a way of going back through time, perhaps making these associations. And it seems like Tom Roberts comes back out after interacting with people overseas, all inspired, and um, brings out like a new sense of um, modern pigments, which only invented in the 19th century, which weren't taught by the by the academic system. So slowly we're working backwards 
And this exhibition is going to ultimately be remembered for, um, from a conservation point of view, from a technical art history point of view, as a, you know, a contribution to Australian art, technical art history and determining um, influences that perhaps actually aren't just relied on <coughs> you know, influences or, or um, perceptions, but perhaps relate you know, based on facts and, uh, and data. So, yeah. But thank you. <laughs>